This week's episode is brought to you in part by FNX Fit, a fitness supplements brand that can get you hooked up with all of your pre, post, during workout needs as well as other nutritional supplements. Use checkout code CARLPOOLING at fnxfit.com to get 15% off your order. Welcome back, everyone, to Carpooling, the show that's not going to lick itself. Hunter, uh, tell, well, okay, but to be oh. fair, to be fair, it won't, right? Uh, anatomically, it's impossible for yeah, multiple c- reasons. Let's list them. One, co- podcasts no don't have tongues. That's yep. like, also, podcasts don't have bodies, so provided yes, that, was- that they had a tongue, how then, what would it have to lick? It's like the gift of the Magi. Yes. Yes. I bought you extra I sold long my, tongue. <laughs> I sold my body for this extra long tongue so you could lick your own podcast. And the podcast doesn't say anything. It's it's not alive. Oh, um, Henry. It's been a while wow. since I've read The Gift of the Magi, if that wasn't apparent. I'm pretty sure it was a good story, though. No, yeah, it, wasn't it the, the girl cut off all her hair to buy yes, a pocket, chain. Oh, a chain watch, a watch yep, chain. The watch chain. And he sold his watch to, to buy, buy a her comb. a comb. Yep. This, this is a story about two people who need to communicate better. Yeah. <laughs> this is a story about two people that should talk more. It's supposed to be about sacrificial love, but I call, it's just, to me, it's about not sending a text message. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes, and being so, born in the 1980s is—I'm uh, sorry—the 1890s is no excuse. So that's right. Uh, speaking yeah. about no excuses, if you didn't get that that little reference, I, I now realize that if if Carl Pooling is the primary way that you get your news, for one, I don't know what kind of autism that is, but boy <laughs> howdy. But two is that if, if you don't know what it ain't gonna lick itself is in reference to this has been the most buck wild open to a podcast you've ever heard in your life so um, welcome uh it's about uh drag the kids to to pride uh, a drag show a family-friendly drag show and i hear you i hear what you're saying i, I can hear it from from the future through the ether your your complaint but chris and i say yes you have traveled far to ascend to the mountain of my great wisdom. I will break my reverie for but a moment to answer you one question. And you go, thank you, wise and benevolent Chris. And I say, please get on with it. And you say, what do you mean a family-friendly drag show? Because is this not directly a contradiction in terms? And I would reply, yes, it is. I cannot believe you walked all the way up here to bother me with this trite. Uh, yes, obviously there's no such thing. It's like saying that like, Hey, do you guys want to watch some, like some family friendly porn together? Would that be, do you guys drop the kids off? I'll make some PB and J's and then we'll, we'll, I'll put on a family friendly porn. I have to leave the mountain. I have to go wherever the mountain (laughs) isn't at this point. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to the Valley. This seems like a good place to be at this time. That's the thing. I'm there too. I've learned how to astral project. Uh, and I don't mean... No, that t- I, the astral projection is my my drag name. 
All right. (laughs) Full stop. (laughs) Welcome to Carl Pooling, the weirdest show in the West. It is a show that will definitely get you fired. We talk about all the things that you're not allowed to talk about uh, at work, around the dinner table. Uh, pretty much anywhere where where uh, suffocating microaggression, cancel culture nonsense presides, we are your respite, your breath of fresh air. We will break you free from the drudgery mire of your 1984 existence. We are the six inches between Winston's ears. We are the last free bastion of independent thought and liberty. God, I am... I'm pumped up. <laughs> your your metaphor game tonight is what I would call legendary, sir. Thank um, you. Yeah, uh, there's I, Hunter, there's one reason that I'm so stoked because we've got a massive show yeah. for everyone today. We have a great show. The show's been working out. What is a great show without great guests? <gasps> and if you hear that snake at the end of it, that's because we have more than one. First off... <laughs> In order of seniority, we have uh, one uh, uh, near and dear to my heart, friend of the show. We have Ben Polk joining us today. Ben, Ben, welcome to the show. What is going on, guys? Um, I'm not here to lick anything. I just probably should get that out on the table. Thank thank God. Because in that example, I could have been the licker, even though I couldn't be licking a podcast. And I just want you to know from the start of this podcast, I ain't licking nothing. I hate this. Like yeah. I, I hate it. I hate all of this so much. I, think I am it's good never going to look clarified. at a mountain again. I think it's good that Clint Ben clarified because he is outside <laughs> the podcast. So if the podcast wasn't going to lick itself, he like it, philosophically Why? he could be an entity that might lick it. This is not. This is not. Good. So it's good that he clarified <laughs> that he's not going to. Okay, think it's more like an ontological question. Like ontologically, yeah. I exist in a space where I could lick a podcast. I have to systematically kill myself. Willfully choose not to. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> I have no idea what we're doing anymore. And uh, now you might know him as that big sloppy tongue, but we just call him Nick. Nick Beatty, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. And for the record... I'm here to lick everything. I don't discriminate. <laughs> it all tastes the same in the dark. <laughs> or so I'm told. Okay. I'm canceling us. Oh we're, we're, the, we're not the last free bastion of independent thought and liberty. We are. Oh, my Lord. We are big brothers throbbing tongue. Uh, <laughs> anyway. I, I don't like it. We've got a great show for you guys today. Actually, the reason we're all here is because we are in a, a Twitter a Twitter uh, DM together. We all slide a into each DM. other's DMs simultaneously. Yeah. Like like one of those levels, one of those ice levels from uh, early 3D platformer game where everything's just sliding every which way. Probably Mega there's Man one 8. in a Spyro. Probably one in a Spyro or a Mega Man somewhere, you know what I'm saying? Heck yeah, we're we're like that, just constantly slipping and sliding into each other's DMs, covered in covered in Johnson and Johnson baby oil. It's it's as slippery and as slidey as you can possibly get. And in those DMs, which I'm going to be honest, is the most unhinged DM of all time. The memes yeah, that Hunter puts accurate. in there, I, I don't, I NSFW doesn't go far enough. NC-17 doesn't go far enough. I don't know what program Hunter uses, but it's not <laughs> Giphy. 
Uh, anyhow, <laughs> we got into a conversation there the other day. It was a really great conversation. We started talking about identity and role fulfillment and frameworks for for meaning and success and and you know maps to guide you throughout your life and and how they're changing and so uh, after like 17 walls of text being sent back and forth and by back and forth i mean mostly from me with people being like yeah cool chris whatever i decided hey why don't we just like get on the show and hash this all out so a little bit of a different format but i think it is pretty interesting it was a pretty interesting conversation and we haven't finished it so uh we're gonna we're gonna bring you guys up to speed and then fulfill it however yes on to business okay yeah before we can have our cake we have to eat our dinner because how can you have any pudding if you haven't eaten your meat right breaking the wall part two um Hold on, hold on tight, everybody. Uh, Methodist Church's first drag queen pastor says God is nothing. There you go. And I've shared with you all the image oh, of said no. pastor. Why? Um, the Methodist Church ordained a drag queen uh, to do its church stuff. Uh, her, uh, the stage name is Miss Pentecost, which, I mean, points no. for that. Hold on, no, it's, that. no, it's not. Yeah, it is. It's pretty that, good. That definitely <laughs> redeems it. Okay, yeah, it's Miss Pentecost. Define redeem. <laughs> <laughs> By redeem, do you mean makes it funny or makes it go to heaven? <laughs> yeah, so apparently uh, drag queens are now pastors, which uh, I think if you ask the drag queens of yore uh, how they would feel about that, they'd probably curse you out and kick you out of... Uh, whatever uh business they occupied at the time so, you know it okay on a, on a less comedic note i so i am a person who takes a great interest in pastors i read a lot about um modern pastors old pastors what they do and i just want you guys to know something that pastors intentionally do most of the good ones at least is they intentionally dress in a manner that is undramatic that is that is not showy, that is not overly elegant, because the point of being a pastor, what the word means is shepherd. And the word is applied in that way also. So your job is to shepherd people. Your job is not to steal attention from people in the room and to bring that extra attention onto yourself so that you can feel good about yourself and so that you can be accepted. It's, I mean, that blows my mind, Hunter. That is completely the antithesis of what a pastor should be doing. And well, shame on the Methodist Church. Well, I, I I downloaded the image and I put it into a program and I scaled off of it. The eye shadow is only about an inch and a half from the top of the eye. <laughs> that like, <laughs> at what inch is it not show off and just like normal eye shadow? Ben, is there did the did the pastors of yeah your, so the apostle that Paul wrote extensively on this actually did he really um, okay in the book Explain. of Second Benjamin he <laughs> included a lengthy treatise on the amount of eye shadow that should be worn on the pulpit uh, just so you know it's actually a quarter inch that's that's the biblical term 
the quarter biblical, inch. The biblical yeah. max is a quarter inch. Okay. Yes. Uh, you, I'm looking at a picture of this right now. So if you if you want the next part to be real for you, I I suppose if you're over the age of 18, Google penny cost. Um, this looks like Strawberry Shortcake got pregnant in like her first year of high school and got has been through three divorces. Like she looks like <laughs> she looks like road rash strawberry shortcake turned 30 and still is looking for a man that's the first thing second the uh, the idea that this is a pastor is so beyond the beyond of the beyond the pale and is anybody surprised that this pastor is like god is non-existent or god is nothing like yeah no 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 we get it you have no respect or interest in the point. This, I mean, the idea that the Methodist Church is actually this stupid is what it would astound me. Except for I've been to a Methodist church, but it is so crazy that they don't realize that this person is just completely taking the piss. It's absurd. It is so absurd. Yeah, no one is surprised when looking at any cost that you want to tell people that God is is vacant or vacuous or, or vapid like not surprised so it's Ms. Cost crazy. has a uh, a website right and the article is referencing the most recent uh, post I believe which is where she essentially does uh, he does slam poetry on um, this in the oh, title of Lord. it and why the do title they all do is, slam poetry and the title of it is God is nothing um, and essentially, the thrust of the slam poem Don't is say that... the thrust, Hunter. <laughs> the point, uh, uh, the, <laughs> the meaning behind the poem essentially is uh, that God is nothing if God doesn't support uh, gay, bisexual, and queer identities. So that's essentially the point. So, that, there is anyway. such a foundational issue with so many of these things because what people don't realize they're doing is they're taking this presupposed moral structure and then Mm -hmm. imposing it on to God himself who self-claims to be the definer of that moral structure. And it's so infuriating seeing people do that. Like you hear this all the time in, in the West, things like, you know, I wouldn't believe in a God who fill in the blank. And yeah. at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what sort of God you would believe in, because if there actually is a God who can create everything in the world, your best strategy is to agree with absolutely everything he says and fall down on your face in front of him. Mm-hmm. Not only not only that, but you're technically wrong not to. I mean, if God is the, the base reality of the universe, then it doesn't matter what you think about what he does or what he believes to rail against it is simply tilting at windmills and you might feel vindicated as a human being with your own will, whatever the hell that's worth in the face of something like God. But then of course you are actually denying reality. You, you are technically wrong to do it. Yep. And I don't mean immoral. I mean, incorrect. You're, you are making a, the sky is green claim with extra steps because it makes you more comfortable. Let me translate. I would never believe in a God that does X, Y, Z. I refuse to believe in a God that isn't me. And by the way, you surprise no one. You surprise no one. That's what we all would do. Absent this this resounding truth that the mysteries of the universe are best explained by a, a 
caring, engaged creator to a certain extent who has the power to to create and destroy uh, unlike anything that we have experienced or ever claimed to experience since the dawn of of history as far as we can tell so what i find really perplexing about that is not that someone uh, such as pentecost would deconstruct and maybe even walk away from christianity but they would try to reconstruct it to accommodate it's like i understand if you if you would like to just leave it all behind and and go your own way but to put together this like frankenstein faith to me is very odd it's like it doesn't like what do you get out of that other than maybe maybe you get some kind of pleasure out of being subversive or i don't know i've i've haven't ever been able to wrap my head around that well i think i think absolutely part of it is transgression for its own sake because you know when you look at we were actually just talking about this a little bit in our pre-show meeting but when you look at a bunch of the drag queen stuff that is going down the there's this really weird thing that is like if these people are attracted to other men and I'm not trying to dissect their, their sexual attraction, but why, why do we have these boudoir shows where you dress up as a woman to attract them? It just seems very strange. And, and I think what it gets down to is it's it, the point is to be as transgressive as possible. So if you're a sissy or if you're mommy, you're being transgressive even to the transgressive lifestyle that you're already living, right? Which is some kind of new, deep, dark wormhole to go down. So at a certain point, as far as this individual is concerned, I think that there is, there probably is some pleasure, Nick, in simply transgressing in the most sacred space that you, you can find or that you know how to mm-hmm. locate you know what i'm saying i would, I would also imagine. add in there once i've never met an atheist who can be happy for any reason other than hedonism i've never met an atheist that thinks that they have any inherent value beyond their biology because using an atheistic framework you can't come up with that so i i can at least put myself in the position of someone who has those desires of who likes to dress and drag who also looks down the barrel of a gun loaded with the bullet of you have no meaning and purpose beyond the physical world and wants to avoid that bullet in any way they can. And the only way you can is God. So you go, okay, I'm just going to accept the God part so I can have a soul and feel good about myself and have an eternal destiny. But then I'm going to get rid of all the stuff I don't like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the, this is the end. I've done my job, Hunter. What? Where? Where do you? Don't tell me. Don't answer this question. Uh-huh. But where in the world do you go on the internet to find this stuff? Not you and you and Nick must have like some kind of dark web tour suicide pact going on. <laughs> we do. Uh, strangely, I don't know if you know this, but the internet runs on blood. Um, I did know so. that. I did know that. <laughs> It's all the people making stuff for Foxconn, unfortunately. Yeah. But your I life's actually, a lie. I have a, I have a USB blood letter. To, I can. It's like yeah. crypto mining, but just directly from my veins into, and then I get a check from from. Uh, awesome. Well, it changes. It's weird because sometimes it comes from the Microsoft guy, and then sometimes mm-hmm. it's from George Soros. It just kind of just jumps back and forth, you know. That's cool. Yeah, and the Microsoft guy is what we call Bill Gates now. Alex like Jones is spinning around in his chair, bankrupt, but powering a small city right now. Burn uh, my blood, Gates! 
All right. All right. Let's, what's the let's, show? What's the, the show about today? The roadkill was absolutely off the rails. I don't even want to do the show anymore. I just want to get this picture bleached from my mind. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to double down. So let's jump right into it. Yeah. And and let's set the stage for this. Something happened last week, and it is culturally extremely relevant. And it is the release of what I would consider a ten for ten, exquisite almost immaculate documentary Matt Walsh's What is a Woman if you haven't seen it unfortunately I say unfortunately I feel multiple ways about this but you have to be a subscriber to the Daily Wire to watch it however it absolutely took the political pundit world by storm it is a very engaging piece of media it's well cut it's well shot uh it's based around a series of interviews that matt walsh does punching up i might say one thing that i worried about when i saw the trailer for the film is that Mm -hmm. he might be punching down the whole time and doing the man on the street thing where you just find any you know lovable idiot on the street in new york and ask them some questions and they go i don't know maybe there's 17 states in in you know you know there's like georgia and puerto rico and wisconsin or maybe three and then you're just like wow this guy's such an idiot how how did we how is america still functioning when this idiot yeah exactly (laughs) not the case here not the case actually matt talks almost exclusively with phds doctors college professors um OBGYNs uh, and abortionists at one point. Uh, mm-hmm. He talks directly to these very qualified people sitting in prestigious institutions that are at what you might call the tip of the spear promoting some of the gender ideology that's going back and forth right now. And uh, I would highly, highly recommend giving the movie a watch because what's so beautiful about the documentary is that Matt basically dismantles these people's arguments with a question and not to give too much of a spoiler but there's one magical part of the documentary where matt invokes the word truth and the fallout from him doing that is something that just must be seen it is so obvious on its face on the nose uh so that is the milieu it kind of reignited this talk about lgbtqia plus 2x yz double arp and it got a it reinvigorated this this focus on the uh you know the pride the pride stuff that's happening now that it's june and then there was this second event that occurred which is the drag your kids to pride event that we were just talking about where they've had this big glowy neon sign up on the wall that says it ain't gonna lick itself and there's a bunch of like 10 year olds hanging out in there that are obviously being being goaded by their parents into engaging with this stuff and you've got all of these dudes wearing thongs and you know leather and almost bdsm looking gear doing splits doing dances gyrating humping the ground you know just sexual things in front of children and it looks just like child abuse and uh, there's one really disturbed clip of the little kid walking down the runway with one of these one of these dudes and he looks his his shoulders are hunched forward in front of him his his neck is cocked down he he looks 
so uncomfortable like like how you would look if you didn't care about how you appeared to anyone around you you were just trying to suck into yourself is how this little kid looks uh, it's it's just really upsetting actually to watch and uh, because i truly think we're watching a video of a child get abused and that is the milieu in which this conversation sprung so hopefully that gives you a little bit of the the political conversation background that this leapt forward from but what the conversation was it actually started with hunter asking an interesting question and then we had some discussion back and forth but hunter do you want to maybe restate that question and we can kind of just take it from the top yeah i've been thinking about this for five seven years and in no way that's definite. that's between five and seven, not for fifty-seven years, right, Hunter? You didn't yeah. spend some time thinking in the hyperbaric time chamber. Oh, now I can't remember. I might have. You might have. If you, <laughs> it's hard. If, it's if hard you to know Mister Popo, I want to meet him. Okay. <laughs> I've Speaking been of hyperbaric. drag queens, I think I, I, <laughs> all, all my DBZ great. fans are loving this content, and by that they I mean no one who listens. This podcast is loving this content. Just me. Um, Dragon Ball Z Budokai was the best game ever made for PlayStation 2. I said it, and I feel good about it. Um, so I've been thinking about this for about five to seven years, uh, which, and I've never really um, put a lot of serious thought into it, but I've just been noticing that there's this growth in video games more and more and more uh, where you have more and more choices regarding your persona in the game. Uh, whereas you get to customize down to uh, very, very tiny details how your character looks. Uh, you can customize job width, eye size, color, gender. Um, in the game I was recently playing, you can actually choose your pronouns. Um, there's all kinds of Wait, different stuff. Wait, what game is that, going. Hunter? Uh, that is um, Tiny Tina's Wonderland something or other. The Borderlands spinoff, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can choose he, she. I think you can choose he, she, they, and don't, essentially. So um, it's not as inclusive as it could be, but it's getting there. Yeah. Uh, well, if you've played Cyberpunk 2077, you would know that game. Yeah. You can even choose your genitalia, which it's not yes. one or the other. There's several selections. <laughs> oh, yes. No. That toggle yes. should not be more than too long. <laughs> All right. Nick, on, just, just talk with me after the show. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and I think all this, this started like in the Wild West days of video games. I remember playing the PGA Pro Tour game and you could customize your golfer. And one of the settings that you could select was like boob size, essentially, if you had a female golfer, which is like, how in the world is this in Tiger Woods? Well, no one was playing video games and mom wasn't Hold looking. On. I so. think we all know if it was Tiger Woods's game, why that was in oh, there. Oh, man. Oh man, Tiger Woods <laughs> is just like up at a studio in EA. He's like, I want to be able to make the boobs massive. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, and and so now it's where it is today, where like you can choose just an insane amount of detail in this. And so the thought to me, the thought occurred is it seems like we're doing this in the culture, and which one is influencing which essentially? Um, you know, we, we have people, I was watching a video earlier today where someone has decided that they will be known as, uh, Faye, Fair and Faye Self, or they have those pronouns, but only when, 
uh, trans and um, queer identifying people are addressing them. And so we have just these incredible levels. Wait, they're only a fairy when other fairies are talking to them? That makes a certain amount of sense. Right. (laughs) Um, You said words. (laughs) And so... And so there's there's just this incredible From a fan standpoint. Can I just say, as a fan who listens to the show every, whenever it comes out, I my favorite part of the show is that it, my favorite <laughs> moment of the show is when Chris says something so wildly offensive that Hunter glitches and it's yep. like the Matrix swallows him up for like two seconds and he just sits there going, I, I can't compute. It's it's my like, favorite. When Hunter's trying to give the premise for the actual discussion of the show, and I'm doing my Tiger Woods impression, like, I want it to look like she's trying to shoplift a set of cantaloupes. <laughs> okay? Do you, uh, you need more room on the right side of the slider. It only goes up to 100. That's never going to satisfy That's me. That's not going to be enough. <laughs> That's not going to be enough. Uh, <laughs> anyway... Uh, so yeah, and this is this is this is my thought is just essentially, um, you know, and I think like some of that stuff when we were growing up was guys were making video games for for teenage kids, you know, and so of course you could do stupid things with the boobs and everything sort of changed, you know. This this comes out from the '60s and the '70s when like girls with barely any clothing were on the cover of Conan the Barbarian and, you know, D&D books. Like, that that's that's the people who played these things, and no doubt, you know, all these games kind of took that on. But now, in a more modern age, in a more um, restrained age, you know, that has gone to the wayside, and due to some of the progressivism is we have this just hyper, hyper ability to um, correct, modify... Uh, your persona within the games, and so my my very very open ended, no no uh, critical thought here is, you know, how does that influence what we see going on in the culture today, if at all? Um, so that was my question. Yeah. So, and there's a lot there. Let me let me just say for a second what we're not going to talk about. Yeah. Because um, there's there's a lot of interesting and true points here, like for instance, how come we can no longer have sexy women in video games that that's like taboo now, but we can, we can swap the genitalia on a dude or, or, or how come it's, it's gauche and and anti-feminist to have, you know, this like, you know, this dead or alive fighting game character that's wearing a thong while kickboxing. But then again, you can have a guy wear a pair of fake boobs on a drag show in front of a little kid, you know, like there's this, there's this weird dichotomy of what is acceptable as far as as far as sensuality and the transgressive nature of it. And there's a lot of that packed in. But what we're going to focus on more, and I think those points are valid. Like, I think that's a, a valid discussion. But really what we're going to center in on here is, is yeah. what is what what does it say about roles and personality is there a a correlative or causal relationship and i I don't know that we all necessarily agree on that right now but but anyway i hope that's crystallized for you yeah um ben were you gonna jump in you're making the jump in face but you don't have to no i was just trying to see who was gonna start off I, i mean i can just throw my two cents out there um i think it's correlation um it's what it seems to me like I don't think that 
video games had such a big impact on the culture to spark any sort of the the gender ideology uh, debates that we're seeing right now. Um, well, but I'm curious to hear what you guys think. Yeah, so let's let's expand it out a little bit further past video games, though, because you've got like Hunter started to mention there. You've got video games as kind of this modern incarnation where it's really easy, where you've got these sliders and you adjust and this and that. Uh, yep. But before that, you had role playing games, and in the role playing games, people were using their imagination to to you know come up with a character and assign it all these attributes, and then you were you were. Uh, using you know using dialogue and, and random events to kind of dictate what happens to that character but that's just a outcrop that's a, that's a mechanics added on top of imagination so that you can have some structure to your play right and so yeah. if you bring it back into that line of thinking now we're not talking about something as as you know young as video games which by the way are predated by the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s and are, are post-dated by this this revolution now we're talking about something that's existed as long as children have existed and children have existed almost as long as man has existed if in theory right and so i think right. when you start talking about imagination and play now you might be getting into something more causal or, or at least more fundamental because wh where you know what what is imagination and what is play like for instance why do we imagine in general why why do we imagine and while we play you know what is it about the human experience that causes us to do that and what is what is it about kids specifically that make them so adept at it and i think we have some if not all the answers to that question but i think that that it might be a little bit a little bit more fruitful of a of an angle to pick at because like like Ben said I don't think there's I don't think video games are the causal element I actually think they are an outcropping of the same underlying phenomena that both this this you know I need to be able to select my pronouns in my my genitalia in video game X as well as in real life now I think that that probably both stems from a very similar antecedent that that is or, or precedent i should say that is very human that's that's my opening salvo yeah, yeah there's kind of I, a, go go, go hunter oh, okay yeah i think i think i agree with that and i think there's there's this aspect to um um because you're talking about the imagination and I, I i think the you know video games are, are in a really strange sense allow you to like have a canvas to paint your imagination upon especially when there's like a character selector. And so the, the cost of experimentation with different personalities and personas is cheap, right? Um, if that makes sense. And I think it allows people to like play in different worlds and, and see different things. And I think that allows people to see with how they want to be seen. And I think one of the things also is that when you devalue and you remove structure and roles from a society, and then you allow people to experiment with roles and traits that are not necessarily their uh their own within a video game it allows them it, it's like practicing right it's like it, it you know what i'm trying to say like it, it's a chance to try out something new and see if you like it and then if it comes with the added bonus uh that society will sign on and support you in it and and applaud you in certain circles then it, it even it could be you know it could be allowing people to experience that without having to come out of the closet so to say so to speak 
Yeah, I was going to say something similar. Obviously, I'm not like super up on the social science of like yeah, early either. childhood <laughs> development or anything like that, but it does seem that uh, kids imagine things as a way to kind of safely a b test like oh okay here i could be the villain here i could be the brave knight people respond more positively to me being the hero rather than the villain etc and of course i doubt they're cognizant that that's exactly what they're doing i don't think i was but um yeah it's like a safe environment to just try stuff out i think aside from just you know providing stimulation and fun yeah. So so I think there's actually two really fruitful lines of inquiry there. And, and Nick, I think you're 100% right. In fact, I, I'm not like a, a child psychologist, but I know a little bit of the literature here, and you pretty much are exactly right, is that kids imagine because they are they are exploring and they are they are testing out versions of their behavior versions of themselves that they can then solidify into a personality. And, and part of the reason that they're doing that is because they realize from a very young age, even if it's not cognizantly that they are made to fill a role. And, and that's not actually surprising because actually everything around them is made to fill a role like mother and father are roles teacher are roles student is a role and these are some of the first ways that they interact with the world friend is a role and we tell little kids about how to be a good friend and how how other you know how not to be a bad friend and we we you know that's a good adult that's a safe adult that's a stranger that that's a bad authority figure this is a good authority figure and we we very that, that it's the primary way that we socialize children is we we say here's the roles and we also let me just to be explicit we we show them different roles and then we impress upon them that there are noble and good and useful ways to fulfill the role and there are ways to fail at the role and so they know that from a very young age okay hunter i'm gonna let you jump in, in just a second the second thing that i think is interesting there is what you're getting at hunter is that let's put it this way it's a lot harder to write a novel than it is to make a D character yeah it's a yeah. lot harder to make a D character than it is to make a new profile in a video game and customize your character's hair color, right? Yeah. So there's this spectrum of ease of entry to experimentation and to accessing imagination that we have used technology and society to shorten the life cycle of. And it's a really interesting question if that devaluing of the work required to effectively imagine a role worth pursuing isn't somehow a, a testing ground uh you know i think i think that it's possible that there's way more there than we would initially give it credit for so i don't want to lose that entirely but jump in i know you were going to say something there you you actually are leading into the point i wanted to discuss perfectly is the fact that um one of the things that's interesting is like in an action movie where like black widow like i leg tackles you know 400 pound men right it 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 devalues um it devalues the actual physical body that is required to perform that feat right and it it's a it's a trick right and it's fantasy and we all are like 
yeah, whatever, it's not a big deal, right? And so we go along with it. Video games are like that same kind of idea, right? Because it's like, well, I'm going to play as, you know, a made-up fantasy race, right? And then I'm going to make that fantasy character three feet tall, and then I'm going to make that fantasy character a strong, bloodthirsty barbarian and have him fight in a world of humanoid shapes, right? And so it's like, you can you can even do you can do that in um in whatever kind of goofy way you want to do, but you can also do that in whatever kind of uh uh progressive way you want to do it as well, right? You can actually say you know no, I want to experience the world as like a strong, ripped human female warrior that fights you know men in this world, right? And so like there's this weird decoupling um, from like reality. That you get in that you get in both uh, action movies sometimes and in video games, right? And because of that decoupling, it's like it allows the child to see that oh, anything can do this. It detaches the physical reality and the physical requirements from the imaginative state, right? And sometimes what we do, like when we're kids and we didn't have these things, right? We'd have an imagination, right? We'd think like oh, I could do this or I could do that, and then we would go do that, and the reality would punch us in the face as hard as it possibly could. Right, and it would be that instance that taught us there's a physical reality that our imagined reality was trying to meet up with, right? And then we would learn things from that. Well, you can have all the success. In fact, you can have most of the success you'd have at school in video games in that way with realities that don't match with reality or right imagined uh, plane, so to speak. And so I think I think it's interesting. I don't I don't know what there is there, but I. It's definitely new, if that makes any sense. And yeah. it's definitely it's definitely different than what people have had to experience up until this point. So there yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah the grad... Nick. Okay. Um, I think the word reality, you said it like 10 times, and I think that's perfect. And yes. that rem- kind of reminded me of Chris's intro in terms of Matt Walsh and the word truth. Because yeah. I think the grasp on reality is really significant when it comes to those video games. Because if you ask a four-year-old who is wearing a Batman cape who he is, he will confidently Mm -hmm. tell you he is Batman. You know, that Mm -hmm. is real to him. Just like if you Mm -hmm. give him the video game and let him run around. I still remember we we, we knew each other when we were little. Hunter, anytime we played a game like this, you wanted to be the stout, strong figure. Chris, you wanted yep. to be the sneaky guy with daggers or something like that, right? And yeah, I wanted to be like... Look how the tables turned. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we were kind of like testing out things. Yeah. And as nerdy of an example as this is, as we've grown, I've watched all of us like stop caring what the character looks like and just have more fun with the game. And we have kind of moved out of those like strict roles we put ourselves in when we were kids. Beca- kind of because when we were kids, that was reality to us. That was what was real, and now we have moved into a time that we've progressed so far into this idea that you can change anything about yourself that the very notion that there might be reality is offensive. So, it's so it's so good, Ben. I'm going to say you're you're hovering around what I think is the really prescient point here. That it when you play the video game as a kid and you care a lot about what character you are, and you do, and and you're so right to point out that you care less as you get older. I think this is the reason why, because I care more. Well, well, <laughs> well that's because you're a writer. Somebody, sure. somebody deletes cyber cyberpunk 2077 <laughs> off of Hunter's hard drive, please. 
Uh, here's why. Because those weren't they they were possible realities. And yeah. I mean that literally. When yeah. you are a child and you are experimenting with the idea of playing a role, you are thinking that, hey, I am not fully formed yet. The 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 foundation isn't set. I could become any number of things that I wanted to become. It's why you can ask a little kid from a very young age, what do you want to be when you grow up? They're oriented towards it. It's not surprising to a child when you ask them that. You know, maybe it is these days, honestly, which is kind of sad, but it, it, it wasn't when we were kids, you know, and you could be an astronaut or if you're like me, you wanted to be a fish because I don't know why I think being underwater is cool. I still think being underwater is cool. Um, we have to keep pulling Christopher out of ocean so he doesn't drown himself. It's I'm actually in a kiddie pool right now. It's like it's I'm just late to the Twitch fad. Uh, but if any of you nice. guys want to buy this water, it's very reasonably priced. And also, oh. don't drink it. Uh, I don't know if you can get those. To, anyhow, just don't drink it. Is it, it. deionized? <laughs> Not anymore. Uh, I don't know what all has ions, but it, look, there's got to be some. So, anyhow, I think that's what it is, Ben, is that those were actual potential realities for you and now that you're an adult your reality is your reality and so it's less important to play but think about kids when they do play think about what kids play we're we're, we're gonna play family yeah i know mm -hmm. that you've been in a situation where this has happened to you or you've watched kids do this i'm the mom you're the dad you're the you're the kids and oh you're uh, you're the dog and we're going to put together this little family. Girls especially love playing this game because they mm -hmm. are testing out the role of mother usually. They're, they're yep. saying, what is it like for me to be a mom? And, and that's why kids play with dolls too. Uh, it's almost like women are biologically meant to be mothers. Um, I, how weird that that's controversial now because, uh, you know, like pretty much like everything that happens to them biologically so like after they turn 12 is in preparation for motherhood but far be it from me to pigeonhole them why couldn't you just be a partner at a giant law firm i guess i'm just a hateful bigot uh I and i think that's why we all get so mad at the drag queen story or not even drag queen story hour at the actual drag club where you're bringing your kids because part of the role of the parents is to instill reality in their kid like yeah sure you might say yeah you're batman that's fun but you both know that's a game but you have to be deadly serious about that's a car and you don't step into that road because yeah, if or that that's a stranger in, and you don't get in that stranger. stranger's car yeah, and what like, happens when you're like, hey, this man's a woman and this woman is a man, but the kid is looking at the man and they're being told it's a woman and you're breaking their weak grasp on reality? Well, What's that well, going to do to the kid? Think yeah. about this too. Think about what games boys play. Yeah. This is comically true because we still play Call of Duty together sometimes. And <laughs> I, 99% of the time, 99.9% .9 of the time, when I can hear the voice of another person playing an action shooter video game, guess the gender. Like, you, you know it. You know what I mean? Like, girls don't play those games to this day. Like, grown-ups. It's, yeah. it's fascinating to me. Like, four of them do. And honestly, they might, they might have been misassigned at birth. But at any, at any rate, we play Knights. 
we play we play warriors. We would go out behind Nick's house and beat the crap out of each other with sticks. That you know, so when fun. we were kids. We you play hero because guess what? Hero is a role too. And protector is a role too. And that is look, it's part of who we are. And and to transition the conversation to a, a slightly different direction here. I think, I think that's one of the questions that we have to talk about before we answer the question of what is the interaction between video games, which I'm going to repurpose now. I'm going to say the, the lowering of the cost or the removal of the barrier to entry to quick role play, let's say. What's the mm-hmm. to, to discuss the interaction with that with the current situation of roles in society in general, I think we have to understand why we assume roles. Now children are good at it because they're they're imagining, right? And, and kids are very good at imagining and we always say you've got the imagination of a child or something or I, you know you have such a such a uh, sprightly, bright imagination. We use these whimsical young words to describe imagination because it, it lives in the domain of children because it is this exploration process that happens. Speaking of, uh, especially for adults, uh, you never imagine more than when you are what? Dreaming. Dreaming, exactly. In fact, we have a word for imagination that is... We, we call it daydreaming. It's the dreaming you do while you're awake is this imagination, right? And we know yep. because of the, the, um, the diamorphic structure of our brains that we have a left and a right side. They're connected by the corpus callosi, and they mediate different processes back and forth between the other. And one of the things that we know about dreams is that it is your, your, typically your right hemisphere by... Uh, you know that bisects your brain your right hemisphere is coming up with different scenarios that you might possibly engage with that you haven't engaged with yet and it is transferring that information over to your left hemisphere and your left hemisphere is thinking about how would we deal with it it's why sometimes your dreams are totally bizarre because your brain is basically like a, a unsupervised ai learning module that's just throwing stuff at the wall it's like well how would you deal with this well how would you deal with the giant dude if he was in your room right now well what if he was wearing a big pair of of fake breasts and carrying around a little child by the hand what would you do then you know and you're like that's crazy that'll never happen and then you turn on the news but you you <laughs> You know, that's that's what our brains are doing. And so, like, yeah. part of dreaming, which we have absolutely no idea why we dream, like, like, we really, really don't understand why we dream. And we don't even understand sleep all that well. We know that we, we dream at a certain time while we sleep. But there's this really interesting thing about dreams and about what they can tell you and what they what they are like. I mean, dreams are very symbolic. And I'm not – I hope I'm not being too – symbologically driven here but part of the reason that dreams are useful is because everything in the dream is you it all comes from you other people aren't actually in your dream but your perception of other people are in your dreams and your perception of different objects are in your dreams and so your dreams can be whenever i dream of chris he's just crying (laughs) Uh, he he represents (laughs) like i internalize his entire sadness and brokenness yes you 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 understand (laughs) I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, 
Hunter, that's so funny because whenever I dream <laughs> about, I about you, I'm crying as well. Um, <laughs> totally different reason. And we, we should actually talk about it in therapy. But the, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, so like, and it's so funny that we call imagination daydreaming, right? Because like yeah. dreaming is this spiritual process. It's this time when, when let's say something sub-ego comes up, rises up and speaks and speaks to your ego sometimes in a way that you can recall it right and it's very strange mm-hmm. that that happens and then you remember it and that's very closely linked even in our understanding of our own etymological existence as daydreaming right so it's it's linked to this like deeply spiritual deeply mysterious process and so I, i'm just trying to put the table stakes down there that the, uh, imagining is no small feat like it, it's not it's not inconsequential that we imagine and it's like it's like a philip k dick's book i think it's philip k dick keep me honest if i'm wrong but do androids dream of electric sheep like the reason that's such a compelling title is because it's a good question it's a good question why do we dream why do we imagine what is it about humanity that imagines and you could almost say that humanity's imagination and our and and closely connected our ability to dream is something integral to the human experience itself so we're frying an awful big fish here. That's that's just what I'm kind of trying to impress on everyone. Okay, what have I missed? Thoughts? Jump in. Um, that's a dumb idea. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta keep it real. Catch it early. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks, guys. So no. buy our stuff at FNX Fit. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I I think you're raising a good point, you know, and it, it it's interesting to me um, how we are invading that process, right? Especially with children, right? As we continue to, you know, like why why is Batman a useful thing for a kid to pretend to be? Well, because he teaches kids to fight bad guys, and he also tells them that sometimes. Sometimes, under the rarest circumstances, and for reasons that they really need to think carefully about, they have to do things that society is against, right? And that, and that's 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 the message of Batman in a nutshell, right? And so, like, and that's also useful. that it's super cool to be an orphan, and it's also super cool to be an orphan. Great point. But there are things that we don't like them to imagine that cars don't kill them, right? Which is your other point you made, um, and so I think like. It's very, very, very important, this process of imagination, because it allows us to grab onto different roles, especially when we're young. When we're older, who freaking knows? You know, like we're, we're doing something more complex at that point, right? Uh, hopefully it's trying to figure out what role we have to do as adults, something along those lines, or possibly it's beyond that. Yeah, I um, don't know about you guys, but whenever I engage my imagination, it's it's almost always to figure out how I either should have handled a situation that I was in or will handle a situation that is upcoming. Is that, is that accurate for y'all as well? Like, let's say I just had a slightly negative interaction with a coworker, right? I I walk Mm -hmm. to my desk, I sit down, I immediately engage my imagination. I put myself back in that context and I start playing out different scenarios. What if I use different inflection? What if that was that person being rude? Hold on, let me go replay that. And then let me imagine if I uh, changed what I said to them. And that's essentially all my imagination does anymore. What about, 
Is that right that's, for you guys? That's the classic. Uh, you go home after a long day and you, you had a fight with someone. You had an argument. <clears throat> you go home and you're in the shower. Something about the sound of the water allows your brain to wander. And you think of the perfect comeback. And you're like, darn it. <laughs> I darn just want to rewind and hit them with this, and I would have come out on top. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think that's pretty common. Yeah. It's almost like my imagination has become specified. Like when I was little, we were imagining all these possibilities, kind of like Chris was saying, that could potentially be. But now that I'm an adult, I know that there's zero chance I'm going to going to become yeah. Batman. You're, you're yeah, actually already this far zero. down the decision tree, right? Yeah, you're yeah. you're like already ten steps in. So yeah. yeah, yeah. And I would say even for the more playful side of when i imagine things that are maybe a little outside my reach it still stems from a place of here's who i am here are the abilities that i think i have at least here's uh where i am uh you know economically and so everything i'm imagining maybe it's like multiple steps away but it's still something that i could see being useful to at least think about as a possibility it's not like i'm going to become uh, an NBA player that's not going to happen I don't have well I guess I have the stature but I don't have the <laughs> skill or training or in the lifetime of that that, that takes but um, yeah I love that uh, Philippians to, uh, 413 Nick yeah, yeah actually Philippians 413 this is true name it claim it so why, <laughs> why don't you go ahead and write that down um, yeah so anyway oh, P-H-I I, think, I give oh up gosh your point Thanks, Hunter. I didn't. I didn't. Let's not. Let's not devolve this podcast into a spelling bee. Uh, <laughs> we have enough bad audio, and that's, that's fair. Bad audio. Um, hey, could, oh, jump could in, I man. ask if Hunter would? Hunter, would you tell us just a little bit about kind of what sparked this conversation in our chat? Maybe that would kind of be the next step in the conversation. And feel free to redirect here. But the Apple advertisement, because I think that's like the next level of what we're talking about right now. Oh, oh, give give me yeah. thirty seconds before that. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. I think that's great. I think uh, everyone is coming up with what I think is the right answer here, and we're we're, we're circling the drain. Let me sail down it. Uh, we imagine we imagine so that we can become. In fact, even adults engage in this process, but we do it far less. Like Nick was saying, you come up with the perfect the perfect. Um, so the perfect comeback in the shower but also this think about like you i hey i'm taking a trip and i i'm taking a trip to florida and i I need to figure out what to pack or even like more fundamentally i'm going camping and i'm really far away from the store and so you start imagining yourself i i know i do this sitting around a campsite and it's like okay well am i going to be warm enough uh, do I need to bring blankets? Am I going to be too hot? Do I need sunscreen? Am I going to eat? Am I going to, hey, maybe I'll engage in this activity. If I'm doing that, then maybe I need these shoes, right? You start imagining yourself in those circumstances, even if they're familiar to you, and you start you start using that to influence the decision-making that you make. Or how about like, hey, where do you want to be in five years? Like, uh, yeah. uh, this is a part of a bunch of like career planning paths, right? It's like, hey, well, if why don't you, if you've got a goal, why don't you write it down? Why don't you set the goal and go achieve it? And that's engaging in that same imagination. It's just, as adults, we imagine less for pleasure. We we imagine much more to pr- to become, to pursue an actual goal. Children imagine for pleasure 
and I think that children imagine for pleasure because they're ne- they need to learn how to imagine, and children don't do things that aren't yeah. pleasurable. They they don't, and like you, we could talk about this for a really long time. I know we're gonna move on, but you know, uh, when I was a child, I did childish things. But now that I am a man, I've put childish things away. There is a time when it's no longer attractive to imagine for pleasure because there's work to be done and you need to start doing something practical. And so children get a lot of enjoyment about, well, I'm the hero that saved the town and you're the princess I'm a, a rescue and we'll play out this little microcosm of a perfect fairy tale relationship and a perfect fairy tale world where uh, I'm in awe of the chaos and beauty that is woman and you're, you're worth saving and you're worth defending. And by the way, you're in awe of my strength and power as a man and my ability to take chaos and transform it into something like a habitable order that you can live with and be happy ever after. And that's a really pleasurable thing to let your mind do. But then eventually you have to realize that you'll never be the archetype. You're not going to ascend to the top of that hierarchy, right? And so how do you... How do you pick the right game and play the right game with skill and you start to change the way that you imagine things and you start imagining things that are really practical like how can i get 10 percent more this year than i got last year so i can take care of my family or so maybe we can have a kid or maybe we can move into that house that we've been you know what i'm saying so you start to imagine different things and if you're a woman like like how how do i uh maybe even take care of take care of myself so that I have the stamina and the energy to take care of my children or how do I take care of this house so that I've got so that I can make the the man in my life my significant other happy to come home so he doesn't amber herd me uh, you know whatever it might be but like amber turd you understand we start ima- the way we start imagining becomes different and, and I think I, just to, to put a button on that, to close the child psychology portion, uh, I think that is why I think that's why we imagine. I think that's why biologically we imagine. Not, I'm sorry, not biologically why we imagine. I, I think we have no idea. In fact, my personal thought is that the answer sits outside of our biology. I think it's an interaction with our spirit and maybe maybe God Himself. I think is part of part of the reason why we actually imagine. But I think that that you're gonna for, have a hard time uh, explaining to me why I had a dream where I was a worm. Who <laughs> could use a rocket launcher? No, <laughs> no, I'm not. There's a video game called. I'm not gonna have to use a whole lot of. <laughs> Maybe it's the whole <laughs> dust to dust thing. Yes, got him. Yes, Nick. go get him. Um, yes. Any anyhow, I think that that is. So I I can't answer why we imagine, but how do we use it? I think that's the answer to how we use it. And then I think this is going to be key for the next part of the conversation is to remember that we used to imagine for pleasure, but now the people that you respect the most imagine for practicality. That's right. I think that's, I think that's key to the next step. So anyway, Hunter, knock it down. So, so to kind of put that into a little bit more bite-sized piece, you imagine for three things as an adult, I'm going to add one to your list. You imagine to rewrite your past, the things that you've gotten wrong. You imagine to write your future, right, to plan where you're going to go. And you also imagine in a creative process, like for writing or for music or things like that. And the strange part about that is it's actually to accomplish both of those other goals. 
right? It's to do it in a way that you can share and will be entertaining to people where they'll listen to you do it. Because nobody wants to hear me talk about all the things I should have said to somebody in a conversation I had three hours ago, but everyone would love to read a story about it. So that's kind of the idea. Well, not everyone. Not um, everyone. <laughs> maybe, maybe some enough to subscribe to your Substack, brokenwheel.substack.com. Thank you, Nick. Man. Always, always just getting my stuff out there. Like Good a wingman for your mind, Nick Beatty. <laughs> yes. So then you raise the question, like, why do children imagine? Well, it's for pleasure. Almost. Children imagine for pleasure, and they receive an education from it. Oh, yeah. They absolutely. Learn. Yeah, and I know you're not saying that. They, they, they are learning something about the world and they can do that via imagination. Now we can do that as adults too, but we're required to do more than just that. But children have so much to learn and the world is so fresh and new. We actually want them to do that. We want them to learn and play. We want them to go out out and experiment things. And that's how they're going to learn that. You know what? When I have two things and I eat both of them, I have no things, right? They get some practical, uh, connections there. Um, where I saw this conversation come up and why I wanted to bring it up is because Apple was having some GDC thing and all the little emojis that they had promoting it were all different people with different colored hair and obviously very progressive uh, in the sense of you know their orientations and things like that. And what I think becomes strange there is that that is not imagination to make yourself uh, better. It's not imagination to look into the past and it's not imagination as creativity. It's imagination as navel-gazing which is what children are engaging in most of the time, right? They're trying to understand themselves. They're trying to understand what they're doing. And you should not be a child anymore, right? If you want to watch the Apple conference, you're probably not a child, right? And so that's what kind of is weird about it is why is Apple promoting in their new products the imagination of children and leaving it there and not not in the creative powers of an adult not in the world where an adult can realize things and 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 think through things and actually solve crazy problems and use it to like answer why are we here and things like that it's just in persona right Mm -hmm. and that seems to be where the imagination lives today and it seems like that's a tragedy right and it's not only is it that i have an imagination and it can create personas you must respect said personas right and they don't map to reality so Oh, that kind of answers. Just to clarify, are we talking about the memojis? Yeah. Yes, they had some memojis. Now, now, I don't really. If you want to have a memoji, knock yourself out. Those are fun. Those are cute, and they're a cool way to like. Like on mine, I have a hard hat because I work in construction, and so everybody I call gets this guy with a dorky beard and a hard hat. Right? Well, they know who it is, right? But the memojis they were using specifically for this GDC conference were like, like. There's the green hair one. There's the purple hair one. People that I don't see on a day-to-day basis. People that don't exist in reality, that exist in a digital space. And it starts to be kind of, to connect to our uh, past conversation, it's kind of a middle ground almost now between reality and a video game reality. Yes, You know what I mean? Because it's like, it's much more real than that video because it is supposed to represent you, but it also does the video game thing and lets you customize yourself. Yes. So it's kind yes. of this, that's why I thought it was like the perfect segue. Um, Hunter, I think one reason, I think there's a lot of reasons we're probably going to generate, but I think one reason that people are so attracted um, to having the imagination of a child as adults is the lack of boundaries. 
because that's part of the fun of being a kid and having an imagination right. is you can be Batman. And then you grow up and someone says, actually, buddy, you can't. And mm-hmm. if you don't understand how the world works, that's a really, that's a major bummer, right? You're like, mm-hmm. ah, but that's what I always wanted to be. But then you grow up and you realize, oh, I could be a father. I can be a husband. I can have an actual job and earn a living. And these are all wonderfully good things. What's but the you have to sacrifice two? some of those things. What's the difference between the two? What's the difference between the two? Yeah. Uh, reality. And, uh, okay, so... Re- and uh, responsibility. That's a, that's a good answer. Uh, and I think that that's true. Okay, responsibility is even closer. Uh, meaning. Yeah. Okay, if you're if you're Batman, sure. Well, even if the world, whole world says that you're Batman, but you can't fight crime, you can't take a bullet. Yes. You, this, can't, yeah. you can't punch uh, the, the bad guy and save the city. Because, heck, there's not even a bad guy to punch most of the time, right? Yeah. So where's the meaning? It doesn't mean anything to play that role anymore. You know right. what I'm saying? And that's a, that's a huge... It's a huge issue. So... The meaning is will to power and having people affirm you. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And that and hey, yeah. you do it to a kid. Oh, you Spider-Man, you give him the web sling, they give you the web sling back, right? But like... They're not Spider-Man, and yeah. it doesn't mean anything. And if, a, if an adult did that, you would think they were ridiculous. And by the way, a kid might get a Spider-Man shirt, and they might even feel more like Spider-Man when they're wearing their Spider-Man shirt. I know that you've seen it before, right? Um, and I, I've had it, little kids come up to me that I don't know wearing a superhero shirt at the movies, right? And come up and web-sling me. And I'm like, all right, dude, knock yourself out. I guess I look like Dr. Octopus, which I'm going to be honest, <laughs> hurts my feelings a little bit. But um, I do have eight beautiful arms, so I understand your confusion. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like kids kids feel this way. And this is where I think it starts to drag back to our conversation and maybe get to some interesting psychological bits here is that what is it about appearance that is so fundamental about this persona thing. And I think that mm-hmm. it, I think that appearance really, really, really has more in it than we, we probably think at first blush. Um, mm-hmm. What does a man look like? Mm-hmm. It's an interesting question because there isn't just one answer. Now you probably mm-hmm. thought lumberjack. You probably thought beard. You pr- you might have smelled cedar or mahogany. You, you know what I'm you saying? Might have smelled uh, dried lavender and oak. The candle I'm burning this evening. No, lavender is a distinctly feminine smell. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, you're you're ab- you're absolutely correct. This is wrong. <laughs> I'm going to put this down. Okay, but but that's but you know that that's not exactly right. In fact, what you just thought of actually were things that are uniquely male, right? Yeah. Like like the beard is such a good one because it's like yeah just dudes right that's the that's the only thing, and if you think what is a woman, um, you you probably think well if you're a guy I know what you think of, um, if you're a girl I Tiger I don't Woods. know <laughs> Tiger Woods <laughs> you, you think never mind come back <laughs> you've crushed me because I <laughs> I had like three and I only used to shoplift and cantaloupes one and now I've decided the other two are are not passable um all right okay so so 
you think you probably think about things that are uniquely female, right? That mm-hmm. would be my assumption. So, uh, but now, and this is kind of what you were getting at, Hunter. All of them have green hair. All of them have yeah, have this, have that. By the way, let me let me ask you this question: What does a gay guy look like? What did you think? Now, I know gay people. I know some really cool gay people. I know some really cool gay people that would have to tell you you're gay. They're gay like four times for you to be like, oh, my God, you're actually gay. Like you actually just gave that other dude a respectful kiss on the cheek. And I guess you are gay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like there's that. But is that what you thought of? Right. And that's part of the direction that our culture is headed in it's very heavily weighted towards appearance. And, and I bet you thought of somebody that engages in these tropes that are uniquely gay, like a dude wearing acrylic nails or something like that is a thing that is only in the queer space. You know, you don't see a straight guy wearing acrylic nails other than Nick, but his, his girlfriend just does such a good job and he gets a really good discount. And, and it's just helps with my confidence after chewing off all my natural nails <laughs> and it protects, protects the nail bed. So, you know, styling, wow. but I'm also functional. What, what yeah, is a that's nail bed? Nick wears, oh, wow. what is a nail bed? Okay. You could be a little bit more gay <laughs> than that, Ben. Um, <laughs> you like lay on it, but it's a torture device. Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> You've seen those like Shaolin monks. Yeah. You can, they're always in. Yeah. They're in like uh, nail salons. I pictured you, like you'll tiny little individual beds that women who wear like way too long fake nails put them in. Like ten tiny little beds, and they tuck them in every night just to make sure that their nails look good for the next day. That's we all are I can make think. So much money, Ben. No, 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 no. You're both serial killers. I'm not. <laughs> Hunter, we need to copyright now. Yeah. I also I don't know why I imagine this. Oh, imagine there's that word again. I just saw. Nick's little nails with those little cones around the the tips like dogs wear so that they don't bite their own <laughs> stitches out. <laughs> I, I don't know. Just do do with that what you will. Thumbnail. Uh, um, that's it's thumbnail. Oh my god, that's good. Episode, <laughs> Did you not also, know? <laughs> no, literally that snuck up on me. I don't know what's happening. Oh wow. Um, okay. Okay. So you probably thought about things that are uniquely gay, right? Although you know, gay people that don't do those things. You yeah. look at the Memoji array, and I saw the the picture that you're talking about, Hunter. They've shared it a couple times in a couple different places. Everybody yep. is very distinct. Everybody is very specific, and you can kind of start to tell who's playing what game, who's playing for what team based on how they appear, right? And there's something to that. It, it, you, in the video games, you edit appearance, and now we've got this really interesting dichotomy where, hey, the digital persona that you used to engage in a different world in now customize that digital persona and use it in your life you know use it in your actual your actual day to day and so yeah. that that's a really interesting switch and and with all things with the internet the things that we think that beni- are benign aren't um yeah. Yeah. necessarily so anyhow and that's changing in a major way where like i live on slack and i don't turn my camera on and i can interact with anybody with whatever icon I want, you know, yeah. and you well, can, you can well, yeah. stay in that space more and more often, which is like, 
it's it's very it's very weird. It's very interesting. You can live in it as an imagined persona if you per, if you wish to, yeah. or it's becoming more and more possible. Yes, so. and I have a multi-segment tangent basically on that at some point. I don't know if now is the appropriate time. Give, give me give me just time. a second, and then yes. Oh, because um, I I'm, wait I'm a just... minute, you idiot. <laughs> what? I was telling Nick to wait a minute. Oh, oh I thought you were telling me. I was like, all right, perfect. <laughs> um, but because I just want to finish that thought before it leaves me. Um, so uh, think about meta and and zuckerberg yeah i don't know if you guys have seen that meme it's strangely relevant to this conversation have you go look it up if you haven't seen it it's actually hilarious it's zuck and somebody else talking in meta and they're like oh what's your favorite thing you could do in meta what's the coolest thing he's like oh well i can do this and all of a sudden he's got a giant pair just and he's like that's pretty neat and it's like exactly it's like this episode we didn't even need to have this episode we just needed to show that picture to perfectly explain it (laughs) anyway meta is a totally different thing they're talking about like buying digital artwork for your wall um in a fake world like very strange things are happening right now things that we don't understand but let me make this this point appearance which i said is more important than we're giving it credit for and meaning uh without being too Oh, without oversimplifying it too much, one is purely on the outside and the other is on the inside. You know, what does a man look like? Well, a man looks like whatever can best take care of his family. And that will be different Love to it. different people. If you're a hot tar roofer, that's going to look a lot different than if you're a stockbroker, right? But that doesn't mean that mm-hmm. you're not fulfilling the role of man well. They, all the way go back through the lineage of you playing uh family and house and hero and and sticks and fighting when you were a kid and like all the way through you could still play the role of man well you could still be the hero of your little hamlet by doing those things and it might look very different but the the appearance gravitates to whatever form is most effective at fulfilling the role and that is meaning that is aligning your physiology with your ideology ideological purpose and this pre the this fixation on appearance i believe by contrast is a result of an eschewing of meaning and purpose in our ability to fill the roles i would argue and we can flesh this out but i want to hear what nick has to say we can flesh this out later but I would argue that the more your role is defined by appearance, the further it slips away from actual meaning. That would be my Mm. hypothesis. Yeah. And I, I think that's fair to say because, um, like the theological angle on that, I'm sure you could take it much deeper than this is God is ultimate meaning and he looks not at the outward appearance. So, I yeah, think you're here we go. On to something there. Yeah. Okay. Look, tell, take go on your multi-segment rant. I love the idea of it. Okay. So, um, chapter one. No, but uh, <laughs> so so the other day uh, I was watching um, Love on the Spectrum on Netflix. If, I don't know if you've seen that, but it's like a dating show yes. for people on seen the autism it. Hunter spectrum. Hunter in it. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, but it's you know it's it's a no cute. one defended me. <laughs> <laughs> like Not i was saying me. <laughs> it's a cute show and it, it's funny but like in a wholesome way um however there are moments that are just like unbearably cringe worthy and even though you know oh this person 
can't help it or they don't understand it's still hard to watch sometimes and there's one uh girl in in particular she's like a 20 something uh she's functional but you know misses a lot of social cues and stuff and like a lot of people on the spectrum she has you know a special interest that's like an all-consuming thing for her you know for some people it's trains for others it's stamps whatever it happens to be hers is animation uh largely japanese animation anime and how that kind of bleeds into her personality is that she speaks in this cadence that is very anime-esque and it's really really hard to watch her interact with people in the real world in this dramatic uh yeah maybe dramatic is the best word just dramatic way that doesn't make sense and so sort of the next segment of what i want to talk about is uh, i heard this really good example uh from the late great virtual abloh where he was talking about an object and i don't remember what object it was but let's say it's like a crushed coke coca-cola can and he said if i were to uh place this in a garage you would see it as junk However, if I were to place this in an all-white, beautiful art gallery space, your perception of the can changes. And I think, you know, in particular with uh, the girl on Love on the Spectrum, she has an issue with understanding the context. And, you know, we were talking about the fantasy versus reality and imagination uh, versus actually accomplishing something. And so, obviously, there's that... Uh, disconnect there but I think maybe it's not just folks on the spectrum who struggle with that and then it the waters become muddied even further when you consider um, kind of what Hunter was talking about where we have at our disposal and most if not all of us are utilizing a matrix of social media um, digital avatars in games and virtual spaces that kind of comprise this uh you know other self a digital self and and maybe right now in 2022 for the most part that's something we're piloting remotely and it kind of exists on its own but we're moving into a world where it's more of an exoskeleton and something that Mm -hmm. people are going to see in real time in augmented reality or even in hunter's example his reality by and large with all his a lot of his interactions are happening digitally on discord or slack um and so you know we're talking about yeah. you know transgenderism and it's like we're moving into transhumanism and i think while that's kind of grotesque in a way where it's like we're becoming potentially less human in the process it is also kind of like grotesquely beautiful if you think of like um like the art of hr geeker disturbing but beautiful you think of even you know some more common uh like uh what's the term for it cyberpunk aesthetics disturbing always set in dystopia we're the art style appeals to a lot of people um and so yeah i think as the lines blur between digital and physical and you're talking about like well this avatar in your digital space you know it has green hair but when you try green hair in the boardroom it doesn't work so well Mm -hmm. Uh, that's that's true until it potentially isn't anymore at some point it may be expedient maybe not to have green hair but to 
to change your appearance or at least your digital appearance in some way that uh, is useful. I mean, even just face filters are very prominent on Instagram and TikTok and people altering mm-hmm. the way they look. And it's not solely just for fun. They gain something from that, whether it's you know fake internet points or brand deals, and now they're making real cash off of their digital appearance. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think it's going to be something that's increasingly hard to navigate. But I think we're maybe like, I might end up disagreeing with you guys some, and maybe not. But uh, is that not some of the things like exemplified in the Memoji example that seem ridiculous might actually be expedient in the near future? Now, maybe not specifically the green hair, but I think you get what I'm getting at. Expedient yeah. for what purpose? Well, I I guess it would vary person to person, but um, and I'll I'll kind of uh, go ahead and say that I I don't think any of us really have a super solid grasp on all of the choices that we make about our appearance. Like we might think we yeah. understand why we make particular choices. Like oh, I just like this. I just think this is cool. There's probably something sub. That's part of it. There's probably something subconscious that I want to be perceived this way, or this is, I want to, you know, combine my ideal and actual self and kind of reach this goal that I have, whether that's, you know, in relationships or in business. Um, sorry, what was your question? I was wondering what um, us using memojis would. Be, you said us using memojis might be expedient. Yeah. Changing their appearance. Yeah. So I guess I think I'm tracking now. Yeah. I, I guess the like sort of summary of that point is that right now the world is maybe not a hundred percent there, but we're moving into a world where, you know, having a memoji that doesn't exactly look like you look in real life may be expedient because the mediums that we're engaging in are totally different and just like the garage and the art space different uh different things are perceived as beautiful in different spaces so we might be moving into a world where you know again not necessarily the green hair but something like it it either represents you know some kind of status or some kind of role that would be not just playful but useful yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. So Nick, I think that that's a really, really good thought, and it's a good tempering thought to the general dismal attitude that we have towards these types of things. And it's it's important yeah. to have that. I do want to key on at a point because I agree with you to a point, but I think that I think that it might be possible that you are that that you're realizing that the beauty is there but you might be misattributing why it's there so when let's take the cyberpunk example because those are the easiest ones in these cyberpunk stories you've got this ragtag bunch of and, and you can pick any specific story if you'd like and we can discuss it specifically because that might be helpful too but you've got this oppressive society you've got some kind of oppressive structure and sometimes it's oppressive because uh the environment's oppressive sometimes it's oppressive because the enemies are oppressive sometimes it's oppressive uh because because our own technology is oppressive right and usually what that leads to is that there's an oppressive regime that takes power and usually 
after that oppressive regime takes power, they stop looking and acting human. So 1984, The Hunger Games, Snowpiercer, really take your pick. Even Neuromancer, uh, like the very first cyberpunk story, we we see this uh, play out, and and we stop. It stops looking human, and it's very hard to understand. And then you have this ragtag bunch of dissidents and hippies and drug addicts a lot of the time uh that that go out and they defy the oppressive totalitarian structure and it's it's a beautiful heroic story but why it's not because of the context it's because that reality and humanity managed to poke through despite the context and and that is what we gravitate to in those stories because it's something like no matter how dismal and dark the world gets here is humanity in its real raw form i i think of winston and and uh what's her name can anyone help me from 1984 1984 um, uh and and the girl I don't remember the characters copulating and the the description of that, it's like it, it, the reason it's such a beautiful point, and it's not a sexy part of the book at all. In fact, it's like decidedly not sexy. Oh, you're talking about the, the his wife at the beginning of the book. No, I'm not. I'm talking about um, talking about Julia, because um, the, there, there's two different parts. There's there's it, it, and there's it's not gratuitous. But remember, he sleeps with a prostitute who's like an old woman who's painted in one yep. uh, in one portion of the book, and it's fake. And then yep. there's the time when he and Julia rendezvous before they get picked up by whatever his name is. The yep. yeah, and and the the dichotomy of those two points is so telling. One of them is an old lady; she's covered in paint. It's fake. It's part of this this fake reality. And then the other one, it's not sexy. They're gross. They're sweaty. They're nasty. Uh, O'Brien's the guy who picks them up, but the, they're gross and it's beautiful. It's human because this like reality of humanity is poking through, and it's like such an like an amazing part of the story because even in the totalitarian Tarian oppression of the technology and the society that they live in like this this really raw dirty base reality thing happens and gosh darn it it's wonderful you know and it makes Winston feel like a man he says I feel I feel like a man again some I've found something that the, the whole society is lost and in fact he talks about he's like I wish everyone could feel what I feel right now because that would that would overthrow that would overthrow the the calamity that's befallen us. You know what I'm saying? But what makes it beautiful is like this. It's really base reality human stuff. And so, then go to H.R. Geiger for a minute. I'm a huge fan of H.R. Geiger's work. It is grotesque. Uh, if like look up a picture, uh, probably not if kids are around because not I mean, at work. It is, yeah. yeah, not at work. It is it is nightmarish. But there's a really interesting thing about H.R. Geiger's work if you pay attention. And Nick, I know you're a fan, and maybe maybe you recognize this, but it's people. Yeah. I mean, it's Cronenberg's, but it's people. Mm -hmm. And you can see the humanity in the paintings. And it's like, it wouldn't be the same if there wasn't something to connect to. But we see ourselves yeah. in it. And it's if, almost if this the idea. Bio, if the bio wasn't in the biomechanical, it would be much less interesting. Right. Yeah, exactly. And there, well, heck, even our purely mechanical things like androids, we turn them into humans. We're obsessed with us. Yeah. And why shouldn't we be? But what, what's the phenomenon where uh, you see faces in inanimate objects? That's kind of the same principle, right? 
Jamie? There's a name. It's there's a pattern name. recognition. <laughs> no, there's a specific. There's a specific <laughs> name for it where where human brains attribute yeah. no, you're right. facial structure to like a rock. Jamie, can you look that you're, up you're for right. us? Everyone's done that with a cloud. Yes. Oh my gosh. Can't pronounce that. That word is unpronounceable. Pareidolia, maybe. That sounds familiar. Yeah, but like you look at an H.R. Geiger picture and you're like, okay, well, there's a woman's torso. Okay, and there's somebody's face and there's the curve of a hip and there's there's toes. And they're like the humanity is is the beautiful thing. And it. it's almost like this idea that like no matter how dark and and depressing and eldritch and and weirded the form becomes we see ourselves in the chaos and we 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 pick those parts out and it is beautiful it, mm-hmm. it's almost yeah. it's almost this story that's like it, it the paintings almost tell this story to me when i look at them like humanity might experience calamity worse than we could possibly imagine by forces that are outside of the realm of what we would consider possible and yet there's parts of us that remain and that's a beautiful beautiful story yeah. um so, and so I do think you understand maybe what my, I, my point? Yeah, and, and you said story, and I think that's what I totally skimmed over is the whole narrative element of, you know, whether it's a video game or book or piece of art. Um, and I was talking about more like from a strictly aesthetic experience, and I guess this varies person to person, but, you know, the a, a person in a dystopian future looks cool even without the narrative element of the fighting against the oppression and all of that. And maybe um, our real world equivalent is less sexy than a, you know, uh, someone with cybernetic body modifications living in the near future. Maybe ours is just Mumoji and maybe it doesn't appeal to us, but uh, kind of a weird example, but like, it's hard to get me in a suit. I don't like wearing them typically. Um, but sometimes it's the right tool for the job. And just like maybe farmers back in the day were hesitant to adopt these large automated, uh, farming machines. We're at a place where something doesn't appeal to us, whether that's because of tradition or preference, but may end up being the tool for the job and, uh, you know, I think it's still on the table in a lot of cases. Like, well, I don't want the emoji. I don't want the Instagram account. I can make my way and navigate life without it. But I think, you know, we'll get to a point where things like that uh, are the expedient choice even now. Like, imagine being in the business world without a LinkedIn. Even if you loathe social media, it's something that's very helpful to have. Nick, I'm totally tracking your point now. Um, and in fact, I totally agree with that last bit of yeah it's absolutely probably going to be expedient and become the best way to do things i don't know about y'all or i i know all of us have had to work from home at at least at one point and you know kind of use digital mediums to engage in things i i think um i'll, I'll try to steer us back here a little bit if that's okay hunter and chris um to back to the conversation of roles because i think the willing decision to engage in a fake reality is not is not comparable or it is comparable but it is not the same thing as being subject to that reality that fake reality you see what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so it's it's 
the person who makes a green hair emoji because everyone at work made a green hair emoji and therefore she needs to in order to fit in is very different than the person who has to make a green hair emoji in order sure. to express their individuality because they need approval from others. Right. And yeah. obviously I'm not advocating for this, but I think the obvious thing there is that uh, for a myriad of reasons, it in a lot of companies and a lot of uh American culture today, it is expedient to identify yourself as something of an outsider, as somebody who, you know, I, I, not even necessarily an, an oppressed group, but to to make that distinction, I think does serve a purpose beyond just I'm yeah. I'm a so, weirdo. Nick, yeah. On this note, I was um, out to lunch, and obviously I won't say names, but with some people, and one of them, Deborah, tell us one. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but I always redacted. Has started the LGBTQ. Um, I, I forgive me. I don't even remember the the proper term. I think it's like affinity group or a, alliance club or whatever they call it. Um, at her workplace and okay. then talked about how she's actually been sinking more time into that than her actual work. I asked, I yeah. asked this individual, what do you do for work? And they said, well, this is my job. And it's actually a very impressive job, but then mm -hmm. said, but this is what I care about and said, I right. actually sink more of my time into that. I might even get fired. And then this person's partner said, yeah, but we'd sue for that. And she goes, Oh, of course. Wow. And yeah. I, I was just like, oh my gosh, they are playing the intersectional game to such a degree that they know exactly that there is power in being alternate right now. It's yeah. fascinating. Just to make and, your point, Nick. And, you know, you look at someone like that, not necessarily uh, someone in the LGBTQIA plus community, but someone uh, sort of playing the cards that they're dealt, even if it's a little unethical to get the maximum outcome at other people's expense. It's like, wow, that's sort of a crappy thing to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can only play the game on the board that's provided. And if the board is creating spaces to play such a card, then, you know, that's really falling on the board, the company. Totally agree. Case. Yeah. So, okay. So a lot of, a lot of really good points. And I want to be procedural because I think that there's a real nugget of, of truth to get to here. Um, we keep saying the word expedient. And expedient can mean a lot of different things. Sometimes it means shortcuts. It has that ring about it, right? Like, sure. Yeah, this this is a way to get ahead quick. Sometimes expedient means it's it's... And I think this might be closer to how you're using it, Nick, is the right tool for the job. Yes. Okay. So the, the the confusing bit about that is that you are you are preferencing the appearance because it might be useful to fulfill a role. Cuz when you say the right tool for the job what you mean is that which can help me fulfill the role successfully. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't get away from this idea that there are roles to be played there we've been playing them for a long time we should play them with skill that's why we have imagination and there's perhaps an element of appearance that helps plays the role but that's very similar to what i was saying when i said what is a man it might look very different depending on the two different situations that doesn't mean you're playing the role badly you know what i'm saying but but here here is the difference okay what is a drag queen 
man in a dress. <laughs> you can, can you look like I do right now and be a drag queen? You you can't. Yeah. It is a role that Off requires duty. an appearance. Yeah, well, what, when I'm not doing that, maybe I'm just a gay dude. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Okay, so so there's so what I'm, I'm getting at is that there are these roles that are completely appearance based, and some people mm. identify primarily with those roles. Let yes. me let me okay. hit you with it. Let me hit you with another one, because obviously that's a spectrum of roles mm-hmm. that that vary based on appearance. I would say this: that man is that the the role of man is far less appearance based than the role of of trans man yeah I, 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 I say so. there, there's a look and by the way look at the look at the people that are adopting these roles that are adopting them willingly and you will see the commonalities you'll see the preferences that get placed on the appearance okay then there's a hierarchy of roles too let, let me ask you this what's the more important role man or husband man or father you know if people ask me who i was who are you i'd say i hope i'm a good son and i try and be a good brother and i try and be a good husband and i try to be a friend you know and then maybe derivative of that i'm a podcaster and i'm a professional and i'm a musician and these these other things that define who I am and what I spend my time doing. Yeah. Um, sometimes your hobbies and your interests become your roles. Like I'm a student of physics, and I'm a I'm a gearhead, and I'm I'm a I'm a techie. I'm a computer. You know, sometimes though, but the, you see, there's this hierarchy of value. But if you want to talk to the core of what you were, there are a lot of people who are defining themselves by these roles that are are far less valuable than the roles that we should be defining yourselves by. For instance, there's a lot, like, let's take the press secretary, John Pierre, St. John's Jack Jingleheimer Smith. Uh, <laughs> I'm the first gay black immigrant to ever hold this position. And do it poorly. And, and to do it just miserably. But Just really bad. But uh, Karine Jean Pierre. But he, but think about it. I don't care what color you are. That's purely appearance based. Hey, gay or straight, are you a good husband? Mm-hmm. Why is that secondary? Yeah. Why is your sexual preference taking precedent over the? purpose of your life why is your gratification coming in on top of your responsibility to other people in this world and when people go i'm a black activist i go i don't care are you a good friend are you a good mother Mm -hmm. have you been good to your kids today have you taken care of them and when people go, well, I'm the first gay albino midget hooker that's ever been in position Y, I don't, that's, hey, look, great. But a lot of those things are based on your appearance and your pleasure and not what you are supposed to do. Yeah. And first off, you, that was you, an incredible mental image. 
Um, Thank you. You're <laughs> no problem. Big, big fan. And second, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said the word responsibility. And I think we're kind of driving the train there. Yeah, well, because um, that's think, meaning, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. Because what does the the color of your skin? Let's say that's your identity, right? So, black, white, whatever. What responsibility does that put upon you? Yeah. Nothing. It just describes you. But if you're the press secretary that has a list of responsibilities. So what she's doing is she's shifting the onus of her own identity onto something that has no moral responsibility contained within it so she doesn't actually have to do anything. It, it and has we no all moral purpose. This. It has yep. no moral being. You know what I'm saying? It, it's, yeah. In fact, your argument, and, and mine too, at least it used to be yours back when, when sane people were, were championing civil rights, was that there is no moral value placed upon the amount of melanin in somebody's skin. And then you've got dickheads like Nick Cannon coming out and <laughs> saying that mel- melanin makes you moral. You know, it's just, it's just nutty. There's nothing yeah. there. It, it is crazy to me. It's crazy yeah. to me that we're, we're focusing on appearance. And, and you can go right on down the line, right? Like there's the black and versus white thing. There's the, the gay versus straight thing. Hey, hey, look, this is interesting too. It's like gay versus straight versus whatever is all about. You can be a gay husband. You can be a straight husband, right? You can be a lesbian wife or whatever. But, but the, the difference there is am I focusing on my pleasure how I get gratification or am I focusing on my responsibilities to other people? And so I think it is relevant, Nick, that you're, you're kind of grounding us out in it might be expedient, but expedient to do what? And, and my, my bent, I suppose, is that, well, it had better be something that helps you fulfill the role that you're supposed to fill to fulfill the responsibilities that you're supposed to fill. And if you are not, if you're so preoccupied with appearances and pleasure instead of instead of the fact that you've got work to do here and that your existence in itself implies that you owe something to to this place and the people around you well you are just on pleasure island you're you're still a kid you're still a kid who's spider-man saving the town and not somebody that is dealing from reality not someone that is is going from 10 10 decisions down the branching decision tree when they spend their time imagining and you are you are focused on the sliders you're focused on the customization right. and and not the fact that that you have a responsibility to play the game with skill yeah. and to the play sliders, the game with proficient the precision the sli- the sliders by design aren't a game mechanic. Yeah. They should, or they're not supposed to be, but I think maybe a good way to sum up all of this last bit here is that our culture, at least within certain circles rewards playing a character versus having character. Mm. Well, said. and put that and on so, a t-shirt thing. Yeah. Or a mug um, or a mug. And so when you think about playing a character and we get back to uh, does digital media like video games influence, you know, how we present ourselves in the real world? It's like, well, if you're concerned about playing a character, probably. I mean, because that's what other frame of reference do you have? Yeah. And, And it might it might even be something like this. 
video games are obviously play. What kind of society is it that allows us to take the take the elements and mechanics of play and apply them to real life? And is this that one. not is that not decadence? You yeah, know? and this one, and I mean, I don't, I hate to use this example because uh, I feel like it's just so overused, but you know, in in a world where the family unit isn't even required, you'll be taken care of no matter what happens. And play is probably not the right word, but I think it's the same idea. You know, there are less consequences for things that historically and are wired into us biologically that have severe consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Yep. So for instance, and, and I know this is, this is, I, I'm just finding this to be a really engaging conversation. So I apologize for the length, but, but think about, think about, video games you have unlimited lives right if you don't like your character you start over we we have the it, it's this cheap imagination right um you can chop your character up you can use them for parts you can readjust you can do whatever you need to do you can always start over hey by the way puberty blockers they're totally reversible oh uh, <laughs> and and we can just have a double mastectomy and, and let's yeah. take let's take the the customization, the persona modification of the fake world, and apply it to the digital world. And, and by the way, hey, how about the trans activists? It's speaking about appearance versus purpose. How about hey, you know what? I actually cannot be the person that I'm supposed to be because I experience so much dysmorphia until I have a double mastectomy and a uh, 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 phalloplasty. That's that's crazy. That's crazy. You're saying that you cannot fulfill your purpose until you m change your appearance? And not just change your appearance, but change the the biological representation that you were created with. I mean, this is not this is not putting on a suit. Right. This is well, not this is not something that is not final. I mean, boy, when you decide to chop off a part of yourself, it's gone. It's mm -hmm. gone and it will never be back in the way that it was and it's not it's not just a game, but we treat it like it's a game. Yeah. And not to um, belittle the experience of anybody that has genuinely looked in the mirror and felt like they're in the wrong body. I don't know what that's like. But back to really? the concept of... <laughs> not, not most days. Uh, back to the concept of, you know, your ideal self versus your actual self. The You reach the ideal self by doing the work and you know for someone experiencing a disorder such as uh, gender dysphoria that work you know maybe looks like a lot of therapy a lot of um, I guess I guess I can't speak to it because I haven't experienced it but uh, not easy and it seems like well, I started GoFundMe and I raised $8,000 and now I can get uh, my genitalia reconfigured. That seems like maybe a, a lesser way of, you know, combining the ideal self with the actual or at least putting it on. It's only an appearance. Nothing else is changing. It's, it's the automatic gainsaying of self-improvement instead of engaging in the arduous time-consuming task of achieving it and, yeah. and that doesn't mean and, that and not it's just, easy uh, yeah go ahead ben and, and not just difficult and arduous in the sense of 
directly difficult, also arduous in the sense of there's infinite complexity to trying to engage. Have you ever played a game where they give you almost infinite character customization? No. It's overwhelming. Because you know I spent I mean? all like the time when you in the can adjust, creator. Yeah, exactly. It's just so difficult, right? Like It's like you can move the cheekbones up as high as you want, and then the cheekbones mm-hmm. are on the ceiling. And that's overwhelming. You actually don't like that. What, what the good games do is they give you like a few chops a few choices they go hey you can do this this this, and this but what our society has done is it has said there is no role of husband there is no role of man there is no role of woman and when you don't know what the role is supposed to be that you are to inhabit now you have to make up your own and if you're going to make up your own why not make up a green haired six foot nine foot uh, six foot nine person yeah you have to define it now the onus that used to be handed to you by society is now up to you buddy good luck go invent it and that i mean we're all christians in the room and that's why i love the bible so flipping much it makes this so simple it prescribes the role it says husbands love your wives just like christ loved the church and died to die for her Mm-hmm. It's very direct. It tells well, the yeah. wife what to do. It tells the son what to do. It tells a priest what to do. And it says, hey, guess what? This is what the son of God did. Now, you need to be as much like him as you possibly can, but you're never going to be ultimately fulfilled without identifying with him. What is yeah. God? What is God himself? He's a father. Yep. He's a shepherd. And isn't it interesting he, he's a, that even he's though a, he's the best mother, they never <laughs> use that word for him? Yeah, well, th- he, that's, they do. Yeah, he, he talks. He talks. Yeah, yeah. The Bible it talks about him as a mother hen, wanting to gather his his chicks to himself. Okay, it never directly ascribes <laughs> the term. It never calls him mother. I think you see what I'm saying. It calls. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah. It maybe does it by analogy. Yeah. 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 But or, it never gets its pronouns mixed up. Yeah. It never gets its label mixed up. Yeah. It's but, very but consistent. In in his three pieces in in the the trichotomy of god there is father there is bridegroom and there is companion i mean three like pretty fundamental roles and by the way roles that he then goes and tells us how to fulfill absolutely Um, i feel like we could really talk about some of this stuff forever because there's some certain aspects that i wanted to push into that we didn't even really get to it is a fascinating conversation about appearance purpose role and how that is augmented by a digital age i guess i'll just say this in closing there is there is a infinite number of ways that one can can behave in the world Uh, and part of the reason is because there's an infinite number of facts that the world is comprised of and there's an infinite number of interpretations of that set and now we're getting to a place in society well well, if you're, it used to be that if you were a drag queen, you couldn't be a pastor. But now, heck, well, let's throw all the rules out the window. And so now, an infinite number of sol- solutions fit into an infinite number of roles, and and expression is is key. In fact, I think it's exemplified by the saying, "Do as thou wilt." Yeah, or if you're a, a green-haired, uh, you know, Venezuelan immigrant prostitute little person polyamorous two-spirit you can be the ceo right and we're not going to tell you to change your clothes because that might be perceived as hateful so now are you doing your job or are you more interested in this falsified appearance well 
Ben told a story about that earlier, and I'm not saying that you can't be concerned with your job, but I will say that people that are overly concerned with their appearance are probably less concerned with their purpose. And you, you take that and you bring it into this digital age where we're, you know, everyone's got a filter on Instagram, this, that, um, it's very it's very convoluted but one thing remains true is that there is reality beneath the abstraction and that there are ways that you can go about navigating an infinite number of of solutions and an infinite number of facts that line up with truths that exist long before you and will exist long after you and there's purpose and meaning to be found there and i think that just like hr geiger something very grotesque something post-human something transhuman uh as we approach nearer and nearer to it the beautiful parts are the parts that are human and the the parts that are human are things that are divine they're things that are made in the image of god and they're they're things that um can't be explained away simply by saying what's the inherent value of not having green hair you know what there is no natural inherent moral value of having green hair versus having brown hair but if i'm a husband and a father and a provider and i can do a better job providing for my family with brown hair than with green hair well then there is inherent value in my appearance there's actually moral value in my appearance, not because one of them is preferential to the other, but because one of them helps me fulfill my role and fulfill my purpose. And so that is the preference that we should carry forward. And it's a decadent society that says, if, I, if you can't tell me a good reason why this is immoral, then I choose, not, I choose to do it anyway, because who are you to tell me what's wrong? A, a, a society that's not infected with that decaying sweet sickly stench would would say i preference the role i preference my purpose and let the form fall where it may in fact i will ignore the form to fulfill the purpose and that is that is a a spirit and a society that i think will endure um and it's the part even in the decay that we still find beautiful. So complicated conversation. And I really appreciate you guys having it with us. I think there was some really cool avenues there. I wish we had like 10 more hours to talk about this. There's a lot, a lot to be said anyway. Hey, Nick, Ben, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Always a pleasure uh, to have you guys. Anything to plug? No plugs. <laughs> um, well, Not. I know I know your uh, your listenership, um, and I know kind of like the demographics you hit. So I'll say, I'm at niq on Truth Social. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, shots fired! Um, hey guys, I did just get sponsored. Uh, can I plug my sponsorship real quick? Yeah, please. Okay, sweet. It's a fitness supplement brand. Uh, it's called oh, FNX no. Fit. I've never heard of it. I really wish you guys could see the look Hunter just gave me. It was brilliant. You know, yeah, it'll hook hook you up with all of your pre, post, during workout needs. Um, if you need protein powder, it has that. I use the sleep aids all the time. Um, 
I, that's all of your ad read that I can remember, guys. If, if, you're, me. if you're a tub of lard, get a tub of protein powder. <laughs> Nick gets me. Like emotionally and spiritually. If you're a tub of lard but want to become tubby and hard, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's supposed to be like a muscular uh, reference, no, but it came no, off really no, bad. You said hard. You said AIDS. We've been talking a lot about. <laughs> Anyhow, Hunter, please bring this, bring this bullet train into the station. Listen, kids. There's a email address. You can figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Hey, look, if you know the name of the show, just like the first thing you think of, that's it. And then there's a place on Twitter. I swear to God, if you say Hotmail, <laughs> I'm going back to 1995 and backhanding you. Okay? It was AOL. <laughs> yeah, it's AOL. At Earthlink.com. <laughs> Rate the show. Give it all the stars. One star is just too cheap for us. And get tested. Get tested. Regularly. I ended that with tubby and hard and I've never hated myself more.